Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie The Amazing Dr. Quitterhouse from 1938. I know, I can't help it. Maybe back in 1938, this was probably a good title. I don't know. Anyway, the studio was Warner Brothers. Release date was July 30th, 1938. The running time, 87 minutes, and it was in black and white. Come on, compose yourself. Leonard Maltin from his classic movie guy gives it three out of four stars. He writes, An amusing film of a method doctor, Edward G. Robinson, trying to discover what makes a crook tick. He joins Humphrey Bogart's gang and becomes addicted to crime. In the early 2000s, Warner Brothers would release many terrific DVD box sets, and one was for early gangster films. The Amazing Dr. Quitterhouse was included in that set, and it was a welcome addition to my collection, because having both Robinson and Bogart together is always a delight. All right, let's get into the making of the film. So the film is based on a 1936 play which ran for three months on Broadway and was written by Barry Lyndon. Warner Brothers wanted the playwright so badly and paid a premium price for it from Carl Lemley at Universal Studios. Also part of the deal with Lemley was that Warner's lent out actor Paul Muni for a film that was never actually made. What a great deal for Warner's. The film was a nice transition for Edward G. Robinson to be part of a gangster film but not to actually play a gangster which he was always afraid of being typecast as. In 1938, he was also in a terrific comedy, playing a parody of the gangster roles he made famous, and that film was called A Slight Case of Murder. We'll cover that at some point on this podcast in the next 30 or 40 years, as things are proceeding at this point. Now, I've covered a number of Bogart films on the podcast, so there's no need to get into his career, but I will point out that he hadn't quite become a star yet in 1938. Most of his roles were supporting gangster types, exactly like this film. The same year, in 1938, he was in another fabulous film that I've covered on this podcast with James Cagney, Angels with Dirty Faces. I've covered Claire Trevor's career in the Born to Kill episode, which was a film noir that came out almost 10 years after this film. Her best-known role would be 1939's Stagecoach with John Wayne. The director of the film was Russian filmmaker Anatole Litvak, who received a four-year contract with Warner Brothers after his success with the 1936 French film Mayerling with Charles Boyer. His best-known films would be City of Conquest with James Cagney, Sorry, Wrong Number with Barbara Stanwyck and Burt Lancaster, The Snake Bit with Olivia de Havilland, and Anastasia with Ingrid Bergman and Yul Brenner. All right, let's get into the film. So it opens at a high-society party where Dr. Quitterhouse, played by Edward G. Robinson, is attending. Unbeknownst to the party hosts and guests, a robbery is in progress.
obviously magnificent voice tonight, Doctor. Oh, inspiring, simply inspiring, Mrs. Updike. Oh, wasn't it inspiring, Mrs. Gansborough? Randy, sir? Hmm? Oh, uh, why, yes. <laughs> yes, thank you. It does rather nicely. Oh, by the way. Yes, sir. Uh, where's the telephone? Right there, sir. Thank you. Hello, Miss Randolph. Anything new on Grant? Yes, I had a hunch that might happen. Yes, you can call me from the hospital when you get there. Give Mr. Grant an injection of dialanoid, 115. Why, what is it, Celeste? Mrs. Updike! What is it? Mrs. Updike! A burglar, your jewels in your room. He went through the window. Are you sure? And uh, call me once if his pain doesn't let up. Yes, I'll be here. Police headquarters, please. Hello. Good evening. I want to report a robbery. At uh, Mrs. Frederick B. Updike's house, 13 Sutton Square. Yes, thank you. Operator, uh, would you mind sending an ambulance to 13 Sutton Square? The name is Updike. Thank you very much. So we're not quite sure yet why Dr. Quitterhouse is so calm and collected about the robbery and the subsequent police shootout. However, the man robbing the mansion is captured by the police. However, his accomplice, Rox Valentine, played by Humphrey Bogart, got away. Dr. Quitterhouse treats the wounded jewel thief. The police inspector believes the thief is part of a months-long string of high-priced robberies. Dr. Quitterhouse then goes to the hospital to perform surgery. While in the operating room, Nurse Randolph, played by Gail Page, discovers that inside of Dr. Quitterhouse's bag is filled with jewelry. Dr. Quitterhouse remains completely calm when he sees Nurse Randolph startled after looking in his bag. While taking a car ride with Nurse Randolph, Dr. Quitterhouse nonchalantly admits to four high-profile robberies. Nurse Randolph is stunned, as Dr. Quitterhouse is so well-respected and already a wealthy doctor. Dr. Quarterhouse is so brazen that he visits the police inspector and gets inside information about their progress on the jewel robberies while giving the inspector a checkup. Again, nobody would ever suspect Dr. Quarterhouse as the jewel thief. From his chat with the inspector, Dr. Quarterhouse learns of potential underworld jewel fences where he can offload his high-priced bag of loot. It's a humorous interaction as the doctor naively asks, where can a person get in touch with a fence? It's like he's taking notes in a classroom. After their visit to the police station, the doctor explains why he became an amateur criminal. Put a blood pressure on yourself, doctor. Yes. Unfortunate that interruption in Mrs. Abdike's boudoir. Would have been a perfect moment for a blood pressure during the actual robbery. I can't get over it. You deliberately committing a robbery. Four. Four perfect crimes in four weeks. And the inspector calls me an amateur. But what can you possibly want that jewelry for? I don't want it. Frankly, it's a nuisance. But for some time now, I've been profoundly interested in crime and criminals. And the jewelry is sort of a byproduct. Oh, then you're experimenting with criminals, Doctor. I'm being one. Inspector Lane believes that the only way to prevent crime is to catch the crook and put him away behind bars. My theory is that you must start long before that. Start psychologically? No. Now listen carefully, Miss Randolph. Has it ever occurred to you to wonder why criminal activity should change a man's entire personality? I'm afraid I've never thought about anything like that. Well, I've been thinking about it for a long time now. I'm planning a book on the medical aspects of crime, showing how the criminal's life produces such extreme nervous tension that it changes his entire mental and physical makeup. I'm convinced that there are medical reasons for these changes, changes which manifest themselves in the blood pressure and the altered ratio of the blood corpuscles and the heightened activity of the nerves and the glands. Do you understand, Miss Randolph? I want to analyze scientifically the precise nature of these changes. But of course I can do it only by studying criminals while they're at work, not after they've been put away behind bars. Proper subjects for such research are naturally difficult to find. So of necessity, I began these experiments on myself. I planned the series of burglaries and went through with them. 
As accurately as I could, I observed my own reactions. Pulse, respiration, blood pressure. What precisely is I'm doing now? Oh, and incidentally, nurse, I find it very fascinating. But, Doctor, have you considered the horrible risk you're running? If my book can help criminologists deal more intelligently with the terrible problem of crime in this country, isn't it worth some risk? If I accomplish my purpose, I believe I'll be making a very important contribution to society, worth whatever personal risk it may entail. Do you understand, nurse? Yes, Doctor. Oh, uh, just a moment, Miss Randolph. We've been associated for almost five years now. Yes, Doctor. And you've been an invaluable assistant. However, if you feel that you cannot continue under the present circumstances, that you'd much rather leave me... Dr. Clitterhouse, I wouldn't think of leaving you no matter what you'd... I mean, under any circumstances. Very well, then. Good night, nurse. Good night. Doctor, tell me. Have you been thinking about this very long? For quite some time now. Isn't it possible you have it all in the wrong perspective? Are you hinting that I have some slight uh, mental aberration? You have been overworking. I know precisely what I'm doing. Valuable research work. In a rather unusual form. Crime and research. Not a bad title for my book when it's done. Good night, Doctor. Oh, Miss Randolph. Yes? Were you by any chance thinking of telephoning Professor Ludwig in the morning? I telephoned the professor? What makes you think that? Well, we called him in when old Mr. Carlyle began to behave peculiarly, didn't we? Don't do it. This is a professional matter. And a very confidential one. Naturally, you can depend on me. Hello? Oh, yes, Inspector. You got your prisoner to talk? Who? He identified me? <laughs> oh, he, he's quite certain that it was my voice he heard. <laughs> well, perhaps it was I, Inspector. What's that? No, I don't think two tablets will hurt you. You'll sleep like an innocent lamb. Good night, Inspector. What are you doing? I'm looking for a sleeping tablet. For me? No, for myself. <laughs> so even when the wounded thief claims it was Dr. Quitterhouse whom he heard in the room while stealing the jewels, who is going to take the word of a lifelong criminal over a respected doctor? So the doctor essentially wants to scientifically determine why a criminal becomes a criminal. Because unless he has real subjects, he won't be able to come up with a theory. And if he tries to become a criminal, he's not really a criminal, at least mentally. Dr. Quarterhouse, using the information he received from the police inspector about where the fences hang out, specifically the notorious Joe Keller, goes to a hotel where Keller is allegedly staying. And then he gets a surprise when bluffing his way into Keller's room. Wilton's man is here. Come in. Class, huh? Ah, man of unusual taste, Mr. Keller. Exquisiteness I hardly expected. You're from Milton? I'm sorry, but I can only talk to Mr. Keller. Go ahead, talk. Where is he? Looking at you. You? Joe Keller? Well, come on, what's the proposition? Well, if you don't mind, I prefer privacy. This is private enough. Speak your piece. Well, I hardly know where to begin. I'm rather at a loss. But you see, I haven't the remotest idea who Milton is. In fact, I'm just getting over my initial surprise on discovering what you are. What am I? A woman. Who sent you here? Well, to be exact, I got your name from a certain chief inspector of police. Oh, you're a copper, eh? Oh, anything but. <laughs> It's simply that my friend, the inspector, implied that you were at the head of your profession. Inspector who? Inspector Lane. He says... Tell Inspector Lane he's even a bigger fool than I thought. Oh, but I assure you, Butch, Miss, that... get him out of here. It's a pleasure, Joe. The uh, pleasure is all mine. Stool pigeon, huh? Trying to make a monkey out of me. Or Milton's. Hey, 
head of Inspector Crane, huh? Uh, Lane, Inspector Lane. Lane, Crane, what difference does it make? One cop is just like another. Yeah. Try to make a dope out of me. You wait here. Call that for me, I'm hot. They're rounding up everybody in town. Yeah, it's bad for candy, ain't it? Yeah, not so good. You better get out of the hall. The guy just went around the corner of Ancosia. I'm gonna scoff them out. Joe, huh? Sure. Feel long. Okay. See you later, Vox. Hello, Joe. How many times do I have to tell you to stay clear of here? Especially after you've been on a job. You seen the papers? They nabbed candy. You were along. Sure. He goes in the second story window. Candy climbs in first. Somebody flashes a light in his face and tells him to get his hands up. I see it's a bad setup, so I just climbs right back to the ground again. You ran out and left him in a tough spot. Sure, why not? He can stand another pinch, but not me. I'm too hot. Never mind the alibis. Where's the stuff? We never laid eyes on it, Joe. The papers carry a big story of what's missing. Well, maybe the cops got it. Maybe some other monkey got there first. How should I know? Anyway, I'm tipped off. They're bringing all the boys in to question them. You better stay out of sight till things quiet down. Well, here's as good a place as any. Think so, Rox? I always did. I never did. Say, Chief, that monk gave it a slip. I've been looking high and low for him. Nobody saw him go out. Well, nice work, Butch. You're a big help. Hello? I'll come in. Somebody's breaking the game in 920. Yeah, who? That's what they want me to find out, who? That guy's a ghost. He slipped right through my fingers. The leader of the gang is a woman played by Claire Trevor, while her second-in-command is Rox Valentine. That's Humphrey Bogart. Dr. Quitterhouse doesn't flee, but instead ends up in an illegal gambling game downstairs, and when he runs out of cash, he presents one of the jewels he stole. Joe and Rox arrive and figure out that it's the doctor who's been committing all of these robberies. The doctor makes a deal to unload the stolen jewelry for $38,000 to Joe, and the two decide it may be prudent to have a professional relationship. Now keep in mind, $38,000 back in 1938 is the equivalent to $800,000 today. Now Joe doesn't realize that Dr. Quarterhouse is mainly looking at the scientific angle of this, and why would she? No normal person would go to the links that Dr. Quarterhouse is simply for research. It's reported that Dr. Quitterhouse is going on a six-week vacation. However, in reality, he's with Joe's gang, taking blood samples and conducting experiments and research for his thesis on the criminal mind, specifically after they complete a job. Joe is fascinated with the professor, as they like to call him, but Rox isn't buying it and doesn't trust Dr. Quitterhouse and makes it clear that he doesn't like what's going on. On the next job, the doctor goes with the gang for some real-time data collecting. Hey, you want to see me, Professor? Oh, yes. Uh, how do you feel, pal? Any nervousness? Who, me nervous? Ah, very well. We'll check. Now close your eyes. With your right hand, touch your left ear. With your left hand, touch your nose. Touch my left ear with my right nose and touch my right nose with my left ear. Can you beat that? I can't even find my own nose. Now look straight at me. Something wrong, Professor? No, I thought your flunking that hand-to-nose test might indicate a lesion in the cerebrospinal nerve tracts. But your eyes reacted normally to the light test. Oh, thanks, Professor. You had me all worried. Hey, pal, get this bag here. Finishing up the last batch, Professor. That's splendid. Oh, Butch, how about rocks? Has he opened the storage vault yet? You ought to have it by now. This is the last of it, Professor, except the vault stuff. Well, that's fine. Get them packed and loaded. We'll take care of the first in the vault ourselves. Yeah, we scattered them out. But don't leave all at once. Okay, okay. Oh, okay. Come here. Let me see you close your eyes. Now stretch your arms, bring them slowly together, and touch forefingers. Huh? Wait a minute, wait a minute. No Never chance. mind, I found out what I wanted. Much obliged. Uh, will you take care of my bag, please? Come on, Butch. Let's go to the vault. Most of the gang seem like simple-minded dopes, which is likely why they're so predisposed to the life of crime. They can follow basic criminal instructions as a form of self-preservation, but they lack the intellectual nuances to live a normal life. In the vault, Rox decides to double-cross the professor and locks him in and turns down the temperature because he wants the professor gone for good. Rox then escapes with the furs. 
However, Butch gets the doctor out of the locked vault and saves him from certain death. Butch was told by Joe to keep an eye on the doctor, as she knows Rox may do something to him. Dr. Quarterhouse and Butch return to the gang's hideout to the surprise of Rox. The doctor doesn't say what Rox did to him and remains calm, but he sarcastically directs a few comments to Rox, like how he kept his cool. The doctor decides, after the fur job, that his work is complete, and he no longer wants to risk his life with someone unstable like Rox. The doctor leaves and Joe follows him. Rox then decides to put a bug into Joe's phone. What are you doing, Rox? Some of that research on my own. Maybe I don't know nothing about blood tests. Any guy that's smart enough to open a combo safe by touch can certainly figure out a little gadget to catch a phone number. See, I fitted this little piece of pencil lead under the dial. And when your professor spun it, it went around with a dial and made a mark each time. I used this little jigger to click it over a notch with every turn. And it worked. Now, I got seven marks side by side. All I gotta do is sorta translate them. Pretty nice of your professor to scratch his own number for me. Expected more of me, huh? He's gonna get it. Don't start nothing you can't finish. Phoning you some number? No, you can't do it. Stop it, Rox. Stop it, I can... Hello. Plaza 46211. Who? Who'd you say? Doctor who's resident? No, never mind. Thanks. All right, there's 30 minutes left, and what does Rox have planned for Dr. Quitterhouse? And while the doctor always seems to have the upper hand intelligence-wise, can he stoop to the level of a lifelong criminal to save himself? And where does Joe fit into this? Well, you're going to have to watch the rest of the film to find out. However, I do have a radio adaptation if you don't want to wait. And just keep in mind, the ending of this film is great too, so you might as well watch it when you get a chance. So the reason I'm recommending this film besides owning it is it's a great combination of Robertson, Bogart, and Trevor together. They're terrific, and the film breezes in at just under 90 minutes. All right, some fun facts. So producer Robert Lord actually favored Ronald Coleman in the title role, but was overruled by the studio boss, Jack Warner. And he casted Edward G. Robinson because he was already under contract. After the director, Litvak, was assigned to the project, Lord's role shifted from producer to associate producer. So Cary Grant was considered for the role of Dr. Quitterhouse, and at one point, Betty Davis was considered for the role that went to Claire Trevor. Humphrey Bogart later said that his role of Rox Valentine was one of his least favorites. Susan Hayward had a part in the film, but her scenes were deleted. Now, Ronald Reagan's voice can be heard as a radio announcer, a job that Reagan held before he started as a film actor. He was also a baseball announcer. Edward G. Robinson, Humphrey Bogart, and Claire Trevor starred together in Key Largo, in 1948, but this time Bogart was the leading man. All right, I do have a radio adaptation from June 5th, 1944, from the Gulf Screen Guild Theater, so let's play that. And I'll be back next week with another random movie with probably more of a normal title <laughs> from my DVD collection. G. Robinson, Humphrey Bogart, and Marsha Hunt. <laughs> The Gulf Screen Guild Theater. Presenting tonight, the amazing Dr. Clitterhouse. And here is your host, the director of the star's own theater, Roger Pryor. Good evening, everyone. The Gulf Oil Companies and your neighborhood good Gulf dealer welcome you to the Gulf Screen Guild Theater. Tonight... We offer the amazing Dr. Clitterhouse, starring Edward G. Robinson as Dr. Clitterhouse in the person of Detective Inspector Lane. And now, a word about our story. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, that's somebody about to come in the office of Dr. Clitterhouse. Let's listen in and see what's cooking. Why, Dr. Clitterhouse, I didn't expect you back so early. Is Mrs. Updike's party duller than you thought it would be? No, just about as dull. I never met a woman with such amazing courage. Every time Mrs. Updike hits a high note, I expect it to hit her back. <laughs> oh, uh, do you remember Inspector Lane of the police department, Miss Randolph? Of course. Did you enjoy the musical, Inspector? As a matter of fact, nurse, I didn't get there till it was over. Oh? The inspector was invited, uh, 
fight as an afterthought, Miss Randolph. It seems that while Mrs. Updike was singing Close Thine Eyes in the parlor, somebody was in her bedroom stealing $100,000 worth of jewelry. Well, looks like there's plenty cooking, doesn't it? Before we find out just what is on the fire, suppose we find out what's cooking with Bud Heaston. All right, Bud? You know, folks, this is the one season of the year when many of you car owners, especially up north, can actually feel the need of having your car prepared for the weather that's approaching. For when the autumn wind comes whipping round your ears, that's a mighty good reminder that your car needs protection, too. That's why, right now, your neighborhood good golf dealer is offering his own winter service specials. You folks in the north will find that your good golf dealer has a light, free-flowing grade of golf lube motor oil that will give you faster starts. And that he has lighter lubricants for your transmission and differential to make shifting and driving easier. In addition, there's that famous Gulflex service, Gulflex Registered Lubrication. The modern scientific method of car lubrication that protects the chassis and wearing parts of your car and helps it last longer. So start this season off right. Stop tomorrow at your good golf dealer's for his own winter service special. Check, Mr. Heaston. And now, friends, there's dirty work afoot, so let's get back into Dr. Clitterhouse's office, where he and Nurse Randolph and Inspector Lane are discussing the jewel robbery at Mrs. Updike's music hall. All right, Oscar Bradley, put us back in Dr. Clitterhouse's office. A hundred thousand dollars worth of jewelry. That thief was no piker. Do you have any clues, Inspector? No, not yet, but we'll catch the fellow, all right. Oh, yes, I was almost forgetting why he came here with me, Inspector. Uh, Miss Randolph, uh, Inspector Lane has a headache. Uh, will you get me that bottle of uh, paradigm chloride tablet? I, I believe it's in the cabinet. Yes, sir. Oh, and uh, put my bag in the closet for me, will you? Certainly, Doctor. I hope your pills will fix me up. I haven't had a good night's sleep in weeks. Well, these robberies are getting on your nerves, hmm? Yeah, this uptake affair is the fourth in the last month. All obviously done by the same man, too. Yes, you have no idea who the crook is. No, not yet. But he'll make a mistake. They all do. Well, uh, what kind of a mistake do you think he'll make, Lane? Is this that hobby of yours again? The medical approach to crime? Well, uh, someday criminologists will thank me for that hobby. But I would like to know, uh, what kind of a mistake are you hoping for? Well, it'd be nice if he went to the wrong fence. Fence? Uh, oh, yes, a uh, receiver, you mean, hmm? Yeah, the guy who buys the hot stuff. Oh, yeah. If he picks the wrong one, <laughs> that'll be the end for him because I know them all. From the double-crossing petty larceny guys right up to Rock's Valentine. Rock's Valentine. <laughs> what an interesting name. Yeah. Yeah, Rock's is a big boy. We've never been able to get much on him. Hmm, Rock's Valentine, huh? Well, sounds like a pretty clever fellow. Uh, here are the sleeping pills, Doctor. No, oh, thank you. Uh, anything wrong, Nurse? Uh, no, no, nothing. Well, you look a little upset. Well, uh, this is the paradigm chloride, all right. Uh, found it in the cabinet, hmm? No, Doctor. It was... It was in your medical bag. You, uh, opened my bag? Yes, Doctor. Well, Lane, uh, these should do the trick. Uh, just take the dose prescribed on the bottle. Only half a tablet? Well, that's all that's given as a sedative. In larger quantities, paradigm chloride is a deadly poison. Oh. Okay, Doctor, and thanks. Say, this crook would make swell material for your book. When we get him, I'll invite you down. Oh, I'll be there, all right. So you opened my bag, Miss Randolph. Yes, Doctor. Rather glittering array of equipment in that bag, don't you think? Yes, Doctor. Well, did you see any uh, uh, medical supplies you'd care to wear? Doctor Clitterhouse, you you stole those jewels. They are the proceeds of my fourth burglary. You deliberately committing a robbery. Four robberies, Miss Randolph. Uh, don't talk as if I were a beginner. But what can you possibly want with all that jewelry? Oh, I don't want it. Candidly, it's a nuisance. An unfortunate byproduct of my experiments. You're experimenting with criminals? Oh, yes, I have been planning a book on the medical aspects of crime for a long time now, Miss Randolph. My book will show how the nervous tension caused by crime changes the entire mental and physical makeup of the criminal. But you don't know any criminals. Precisely. And so I became a criminal myself. I planned a series of burglaries and went through with them. And as accurately as I could, I analyzed my medical reaction to each crime. Because it's uh, merely a research... In a rather unusual form. Well, uh, let's shut up shop. I've had quite a busy day. Tomorrow I pay a little visit to Rock's Valentine. A patient? No, uh, a fence. Well, let's... Uh, what are you looking for, Miss Randolph? A sleeping pill. For me? No, for me. For 
the tenth time. There ain't no Rutz Valentine in this apartment. No, but he must be here. Uh, hey, wait a minute. The Swede didn't send you here, did he? Uh, my good man, it doesn't pay to inquire too deeply into things that concern the, uh, uh, the Swede. Then you are from the Swede. Hmm? Uh, well, who, who said I wasn't? Hmm. What does he look like? The Swede? Hmm. Well, he has blonde hair and blue eyes. Hmm. And what kind of accent does he talk with? Uh, Swedish. Well, I guess you're okay. <laughs> I, uh, I gotta be careful, see, cause the heat's on for rocks. He gets kind of nervous at times. Oh, like really? Yeah. Well, uh, tell me, have you ever examined him when he gets nervous? Uh, does he exhibit any outward signs? Uh, constriction of the pupils, for instance. Huh? I say, is there any constriction? Uh, uh, you know what constriction is, don't you? Yeah, sure, but I ain't worried. I'm past the age limit. <laughs> well, come on in. What's going on, okay? This guy wants to see you, Rock. Yeah? Who are you? Well, that has no bearing on our business. Say the word, boss. I throw him out. Well, take it easy, Popus. I'll handle it. What do you want, buddy? Well, I understand your offense, Mr. Valentine. So what? What's your business? This. Holy smoke, diamond. Boy, what a hunk of ice. Get out your eyeglass, Popus. See if they're the McCoy. Boss, he's not only 100% McCoy... But he's positively in person, the Updike brooch. The Updike brooch? Yes. Here's the Updike tiara, the Updike necklace, the Updike bracelet, and the Updike dog collar. Holy smoke, what a dog collar for a pooch. Uh, what's the leech made out of, platinum? Hey, look, bud. Are you trying to tell us you pulled the Updike job? Well, I'm telling you, uh, Nothing. I think that these jewels, being in my possession, speak for me. Yeah, well, I ain't saying why you came down here to see me. Well, it's all very simple, Rocks. I need you, and you need me. Now, what do you say to my joining you professionally? What? You mean become one of the mob? Yes. Yes, screwy. Well, I'm sorry we couldn't make a deal, Rocks, but that's your business. You know, these Updike jewels are small stuff. Yeah? Oh, just a sample of the halls we could make working together. Well, goodbye, gentlemen. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Maybe we could use you at that, buddy. Well, now you're using your head, Rock. Only remember, I don't trust no one, see? No one. <laughs> well, I hope I'll give you good reason to alter that philosophy. He talks like a universal professor, don't he? Yeah. <laughs> well, Professor, you wanted a mob now. Let's have a drink on it. Thank you. Well, here's to crime and research. And what? Never mind. Make it just uh, to crime. Well, here I am, a member of a bona fide group of thieves. It's amazing, gentlemen. Really amazing. Dr. Glitterhouse's office. No, Inspector Lane, the doctor is still in Bermuda. I can't say. It may be months. Oh, your headaches have returned? On account of some robberies. Well, I'll call you the moment the doctor's here and sit down. All right, Inspector? Hiya, Professor. Oh, uh... Oh, hello, Rock. Everything all right? Yeah, that loft was a pushover. We split up. The boys will be back soon. Say, what's in that tube on your desk? Blood. I took the specimen from O.K. before he went out on the warehouse job. I'll take another when he gets back. You got more O.K.'s blood now than he has. Say, I, uh... I've been wanting to talk to you, Professor. All right, Rocks. What's on your mind? I don't like the way things are going lately. What's the matter? We've been successful enough, haven't we? That ain't it. I used to be the head man around here. I don't like the way you moved in, see? And the main thing I don't like is that book you keep writing. Well, I've told you a hundred times there's nothing in this book that concerns you. Yeah, but if it don't concern me, why don't you show me what's in it? Well, really, Rox, you're, you're making a mountain out of a molehill. I don't go in for this close-mouth business. Now, open up, Professor. What's your name? Hmm? Who are you, anyway? Well, Rox, that is the major thing that doesn't concern you. Hi, you boys. The stuff is here and it's mellow. The most beautiful furs you ever see. Yeah. I picked out a nice mink for my wife. Her sable coat was beginning to look even shabbier than her aiming. Throw the stuff on the table. Let's have a look at it. Yes, and uh, while Rox is examining the take, I know, I know. Here we go again. Okay, Professor. 
Jab away. You too, Popus. Um, roll up your sleeves. I'm ready with the needle. Please, Professor. I got enough holes in me now from this. You know how we spray the lawn at our house? No. I drink a glass of water and go out and stand in the grass. <laughs> well, there. Thank you, gentlemen. You've been very good subjects. You've told me all I wanted to know. Ah, it's a nice haul. There must be half a million bucks worth of furs there. My cut will come to plenty. Well, your cut will come to even more than you think, Ross. Huh? What do you mean? Well, I'm going to divide my share among the three of you. Huh? You mean you, you don't want no money from this job? Exactly. What's the idea? Seems kind of funny to me. Funny? Is incomprehensible. Well, <laughs> you see, gentlemen, it's a little farewell gift for me to you. Oh. So you're walking out, huh? Just like that, huh? Uh-huh. Just like that. Taking your little black book with you. Oh, yes, indeed I am. Uh, pardon me, Rox. I'd like to use the phone behind you. Thanks. Hello? Yes, I've decided. Well, uh, tell Mrs. Gansford I'll see her in the morning. What? Yes, I weathered all storms and I arrive home tomorrow for good. Yes, tomorrow then. Well, goodbye, gentlemen. It's been very enlightening to have known you. So long, Professor. Happy day, sport. Thanks, fellows. And now that there are no hard feelings, Rock, get out. <laughs> Very well. I'll see you in the medical papers, gentlemen. You think the guy's sappy? Sappy nothing. I'm going to do a little research work on my own. Where's that phone? Give me a screwdriver, Popus. You're going to take the phone apart, Bob? Sure, I fitted a piece of the pencil lead under the dial. When your professor spun it, it went around with the dial and made a mark each time. I used a watch to click it over a notch with every spin. Holy smoke, look. Yeah, it worked pretty good. Now, there's seven marks there. All I got to do is sort of translate them. Pretty nice of the professor to write down his own number for me. Well, here goes. You're phoning his number? Shut up. Hey, Rock, study. Why? Shut up, study. Hello? Is this Plaza 74018? Who? Dr. Who's residence? Oh, Never mind. Thanks. So that's who he is. Well, now it's my turn. Well, Dr. Clitterhouse doesn't know it, but there's a goose cooking, and I think it's his. Our Gulf Theater audience will know all the answers in just a moment. And meanwhile, here's a young fellow with an answer or two on another subject. Your headquarters for making your automobile last longer. That's a mighty good way of thinking of your neighborhood good Gulf dealers. Because every time you drive in at the sign of the Gulf Orange Disc, your good Gulf dealer can help lengthen the life of your car. For instance, right now, he's offering his own winter service specials, about which you've heard earlier. These service specials not only keep your car in tune with winter, they help it last longer, too. And your Gulf dealer is always ready with other Gulf-quality products, such as Gulf No-Knox gasoline, the extra-value gasoline that has been especially designed to prevent harmful pounding and hammering inside your motor. So right now, when you may not know just how long it will be before you get a new car, stop regularly at your good Gulf dealers to help your present car stay young longer. Now for the second act of The Amazing Dr. Clitterhouse, starring Edward G. Robinson as Clitterhouse, Humphrey Bogart as Rox, Marcia Hunt as the nurse, and with yours truly as Inspector Lane. Dr. Clitterhouse has left the gang, renounced his life of crime, and is once more ensconced in his office as a dignified medico. It's the following night, and Clitterhouse is working on his research notes in his office. Ah, you sound happy, Professor. Rox. How did you get to my office? <laughs> the cinch. Kind of careless of a master mind to leave his windows open. Dr. Clitterhouse. Oh. You know my name, too. Yeah, I know all about you. You intend exposing me to the police? Me? Do a thing like that? Why should I? Well, then what do you want? I'll take it easy. We'll get to that. While I was waiting for you, I've been reading your little black book here. My notes? Names and everything in here. Blood analysis of okay after loft robbery. Pupils of Rock's eyes react slowly to strong light. Ought to make nice reading for the cops. Now, look here, Rocks. I tried to... Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were alone. Oh, it's all right, Miss Randolph. Anything wrong? 
Uh, no, I just forgot to tell you that I put some paradisal chloride tablets in your cabinet. Mrs. Gansett might call. Oh, yes. Uh, well, uh, thank you, Miss Randolph. Good night. Good night. Stick around, sweetheart. What? I said stick around, sweetheart. Maybe the doc's been shooting off his mouth to you, too. Doctor, what right is this man to call? Well, I'm terribly sorry, Miss Randolph. Apparently, I've made the same mistake as the immortal Dr. Frankenstein. This is my monster. Oh, then he must be one of... I mean... I was right, eh? The dame is one. Now, I assure you, Rox, that Miss Randolph is the soul of discretion. Now, please let her go. She stays, Doc. She knows what the score was, so she may as well know what the score is going to be. Oh, you have a plan? Sure, I got a plan. These notes of yours prove plenty, and I've got them. And that sort of puts you over the barrel. From now on, Doc... You're going to be working for me. Oh, very interesting. It's wonderful. You got it in with a lot of rich guys, and you're going to use it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's slipping the layout of their houses. Find out safe combinations. Tell me when they won't be home. It'll be a cleanup for me. And just to show you I ain't a bad guy, I'm going to give you 10%. Well, your generosity stuns me. You'll take it and like it. Doctor, you mustn't let him do this. No, I'm afraid it's unavoidable. Well, uh, what else can I do? Nothing but offer your new boss a drink. Oh, yes, sir. Uh... Yes, a good suggestion. I have some excellent scotch in the cabinet. Wow. About six fingers and a water glass ought to do the trick. Oh, uh, how about you, sweetheart? A little snifter? No, thank you. Ah, don't be like that. No, you ain't bad looking. Take them flat-heeled shoes off you and take some of the starch out of that uniform. Private stock, huh? (laughs) Okay. But hurry up with a drink. Talking to her gives me a chill. On the way. Rox, do you seriously mean all you've said? Try and cross me, Doc. You'll find out. Well, that's that. Here's your drink. Thanks. It's not bad. It's imported. You uh, probably noticed the full smoky flavor. Well, a toast. So a killing for me and 10% for you. Well, couldn't you make that to crime and research? <laughs> Still harping on uh, research, huh? Yes, because uh, I have some more to do. I've neglected the study of the greatest crime of all. Yeah, what's that? Murder. Ah, that's bad business, Doc. You can't get away with it. Oh, I don't know. It's quite easy for a doctor to eliminate someone. A poison administered in the guise of medicine, the body dropped in some convenient river, and the verdict would be death by drowning. You've got a nasty mind, Doc. I'm getting... Oh, they're sleepy. You are, Ross? Yeah. That drink sure hit me. Oh, did it? Look at me. Can you see me clearly? No. I look funny. Small and far off. My voice sounds rather indistinct, doesn't it? Talk louder. I can't hear you good. What have you done to him? Well, as you pointed out, Miss Randolph, there were paradigm chloride tablets in the cabinet. Doc! I can't open my eyes. No, Rox. And you never will again. You! You! Uh, oh, there's no use struggling. Unfortunately, you placed me in a position where this was the only way out. I couldn't very well sacrifice my life's work because you were greedy, could I, Rox? Could I, Rob? No, I couldn't. You... You killed him? Yes. I'm terribly sorry I had to do it, but he was going to place me in such a position that my life's work would suffer. I'm so sorry, Rox, but you created an impossible situation, my friend. Dr. House. Oh, Inspector Lane. Oh, delighted to see you. What brings you out so early, Inspector? I've got another splitting headache. Oh, that's too bad. How long have you had it? Since early this morning. It started when we fished the body of Rock's Valentine out of the river. Really? Mm-hmm. He was full of poison. Paradictal chloride. Oh, how distressing for him. Any clues? Yes. Yes, in his pocket was a book of matches with a telephone number written inside the cover. Hmm. It was somewhat blurred by the water, but it's either... Plaza 74018, what? Or Plaza 74016. Well, it couldn't be Plaza 74018. That's my number. Yeah. 
So it uh, must be the other one. 4016. Uh, that belongs to the Beauty Form Girdle Company. Well, a uh, valuable clue, Inspector. Oh, we'll get more. We just picked up Harry Popus and O.K. Kinsella, and we'll soon have a complete description of this mysterious professor. I'm on my way to talk to them now. Hmm. Uh, but your headache, Inspector? Oh, yeah, that's almost gone. Uh, however, don't be surprised if I drop back later today. No, uh, no, no, I, I won't. Uh, goodbye, Inspector. Miss Randolph. Yes, Doctor. Get Tom Harrick down the phone, please. Your lawyer? Yes, uh, tell him I want to see him immediately. Doctor, why did Inspector Lane come here? What was it? He had a headache, Miss Randolph. Oh. The contagious kind. Now I have one. Inspector Lane will be back soon to place me under arrest. Oh, Doctor, it's terrible. No, 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 don't worry, Miss Randolph. It's a clear case of monomania. With my own personal physician, I've just diagnosed my own case. Yes, Dr. Clitterhouse? I'm crazy, Miss Randolph. Absolutely crazy. Order in the court, please. Will the foreman of the jury please stand? Yes, Your Honor. Have you arrived at a verdict? Mm, well, no, Your Honor. We can't figure out the testimony of those alienists. They talk about uh, melancholia and uh, psychoneuroses and, and hyperamnesia until it drives us nuts. Uh, pardon me, depression. Uh, their language leaves a doubt in your mind? Uh, that's right. We know Dr. Twitterhouse killed Valentine. He says so himself. But we've listened to all those experts, and we still don't know whether he's sane or whether he's, uh, well... Go ahead. I'll pardon expression. Well, thanks, Your Honor. Nuts! <laughs> uh, I'm, uh, I'm sure that none of us has any desire to prolong this trial. Uh, Dr. Clitterhouse. Yes, Your Honor. Would you resume the witness stand? Certainly, sir. Mr. Foreman, I am recalling Dr. Clitterhouse in order to put several questions to him myself. Oh, I uh, hope it works, Your Honor. Are you ready for the questioning, Dr. Clitterhouse? Now, look here, Your Honor. We've been at this for days, and I'm tired of all this nonsense. Let's get it over with. I'm not insane at all. I was aware of the consequences of my actions that night. You were? Yes, but not of their extent or far-reaching possibility. Your Honor. Yes, Mr. Harrington? Your Honor, could we have a short recess? I'm sorry, Mr. Harrington, but that's impossible. But I'm afraid that the strain on my client... May... That will be all, Mr. Harrington. Now, Dr. Clitterhouse... As a competent medical authority, do you believe it possible for an insane man to write a sane book? Emphatically not. In that case, do you consider your book, Crime and Research, to be irrational and of no scientific value? Oh, quite the contrary. I consider my book completely rational and of definite scientific value. Say what you please about me. Do anything to me the law allows. But you cannot, you must not question the sanity of my book. I see. Now, assuming that it is impossible for an insane man to write a sane book... In your opinion, you are perfectly sane. Perfectly. Now, do what you will with me. Well, I'm sorry, Dr. Clitterhouse. If, as you say... Oh, uh, you... Your Honor. Mr. Foreman? Uh, you don't have to ask him anything else. We've reached a verdict. Well, what is the verdict? Not guilty. By reason of insanity. What? Well, how, how on earth did you arrive at that? Well, Your Honor, the, the prisoner hasn't got a prayer unless he proves himself insane. His life depends on it. So there he sits, trying his best to prove he's sane. Only an insane man would do that. So he must be, uh, pardon the expression, say, uh, I mean, it's uh, not very nuts. Dr. Clitterhouse, you have heard the verdict of the jury. Have you, any, have you any comment to make? Amazing. Really amazing. to Edward G. Robinson, Humphrey Bogart, and Marcia Hunt for a most entertaining show. Enthusiastically contributing their performances in the Gulf Screen Guild Theater tonight so that Gulf could donate the money they would have received to the Motion Picture Relief Fund for the care of those people in the industry who can no longer support themselves. And now, now I... Right. What goes with that Oscar Bradley at the piano? Doggone it. I've told Oscar time and time again he must not arrange next week's tunes during this week's show. Now, why can't he wait till we're off the air? Oh, well, maybe Oscar's just ambitious and wants to do a particularly fine job on next week's music. Well, that's probably it, bud, because next week we're going to do that particularly fine musical comedy, Babes in Arms. <laughs> 
Oh, you, you don't mean to tell me that you'll have the stars of the movie here. Could be. Those two wonderful, terrific, delightful, splendid... Who else? Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland. Yes, sir, that's our bill for next week, friends. One of the finest shows we've ever presented in, the, in Babes and Arms. Mark it down as a date with us, won't you? Until next Sunday, then, this is Roger Pryor speaking for your neighborhood good golf dealer and saying, Good night, everyone. Now, don't bring two words about defense savings bonds. Give me liberty or give me death. Those are the words of Patrick Henry. Words that have run down through the years. Because America's liberty is mighty precious, it is, well, worth defending, too. Do your bet to keep your country free by buying United States defense bonds as fast. Go to your post office or bank tomorrow. For complete details, write USA, care of this station. Marsha Hunt and Edward G. Robinson have just finished Unholy Partners for MGM. Mr. Robinson is currently making The Night Before Christmas. And Humphrey Bogart has just finished Maltese Falcon, both Warner Brothers pictures. Oscar Bradley directed our music tonight, assisted by Frank Tour. Be sure to tune in to the Gulf Screen Guild Theater next Sunday night when we present Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland in the delightful musical Babes in Arms. It'll be a great show. But he's been speaking. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. If you enjoy this podcast and are an iTunes user, please do the show a favor and head on over to the official iTunes page for damn good movie memories. Be sure to leave a rating and a review. This will allow the show to appear higher in the algorithm and spread the joy of this podcast to the masses. If you are not an iTunes user, you can still listen and subscribe on Podbean at damngoodmoviememories.podbean.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook under our Damn Good Movie Memories page. You can also listen to a limited number of episodes on YouTube. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and be sure to tune in next week for an all new episode of Damn Good Movie Memories.